hope you've had a good week. I know there's a lot going on in your mind and in your world. Um, I know there's some craziness going out in the tropics with two hurricanes coming at somewhere. I don't know. It's hard to keep up these days. And, uh, you know, it's 2020. You just, the, new, the news headlines can't get any worse. So it's like, yep, just chalk it up. That's going to happen. Um, and so we just, thankfully, uh, we know that the final breath and the final stage is not going to be us here doing a whole lot. And I'm looking forward to when God will return, Christ will return for his church, and uh, looking forward to that day as we even sang about that this morning. Well, today we're going to launch into a new teaching series, and on the back of your bulletin is a place for you to keep track of some notes or jot down some thoughts. We hope to try to do that throughout these next four weeks with this new teaching series entitled, When God Doesn't. You saw that on the front of your bulletin this morning, and it will be the next four weeks as we study through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, if you take some time to turn to Habakkuk chapter number one, I meant to text you this morning so that you'd have a couple hours heads up to turn there uh, so that you'd find it. But it's one of those minor prophets in the back of the Old Testament. Uh, you'll find it after Jonah, Micah, Nahum, there's Habakkuk. If you've gone to Zephaniah, Haggai, you've gone a little too far. And uh, so back up. It's page 999. Hopefully that'll help you. Uh, so just turn there. Uh, now, what do we know about Habakkuk? Well, the one thing that I know is for the last two years, I've been wanting to dig into this book for a brief study and series and just didn't have a piece from the Lord until recently. And so probably about four or five weeks ago, we scheduled it, put it on the calendar, and now here we are, and I'm thankful for that. But also in chapter one, verse number one, and chapter three, verse number one, we see the description of Habakkuk as being a prophet of God. And so as a prophet of God, he was a voice of God to the children of Israel, and he was a communicator of God's message. Now, the, the prophets would always direct their attention, their message, always to Yahweh. And so here in the book of Habakkuk, it's going to be a little bit of a, a different approach with the interaction between the prophet of God and God himself. We also notice that in the end of the book, chapter number 3, verse number 19, there's a statement to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And so many scholars believe that Habakkuk was potentially even a priest in the temple who was a part of the worship leading uh, within that. And uh, so there's just a few things that we would know about him. We also know that uh, he was in a setting where the, the Babylonian empire was getting ready to take power, dominant power over the world. And so this was a stage in life. Now, Northern Kingdom Israel... Now, remember Israel, let's back up just a little bit. I don't want to assume any information on your part, but we all know Israel came out of the wilderness. They wandered uh, for 40 years out of exiting Egypt. Then they had the years of conquest taking over the promised land. Now, at that point, then we would see that the judges came into play because everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. But then finally they said, we want a king just like every other nation. Now, God had already predicted that they would get a king. That was laid out in the law. But now they're saying they want their own king. They don't want to go God's way, God's man. And so they pick Saul. And so Saul becomes their king, which then David becomes God's anointed king. And then David's son Solomon becomes a king. Well, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom is then shattered into two. That's where we always then talk about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. That was Judah. Now, there's a lot of kings that play in between Solomon and Habakkuk's day. But in all of those stories, there's a lot of coming back to God and turning away from God. There's a lot of exile and captivity, and then there's the rescue. So there's a lot of those stories, but there's also a lot of prophets that will come onto the scene. 
These prophets, again, are the messengers of God, and they would proclaim what God wanted for the children of Israel to hear. Well, now in this circumstance where Habakkuk is, is that we would find that Israel has wandered away from the covenant that was made in Genesis 15, where God had said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and you will bless all other nations. And so at this point, they couldn't even bless themselves, let alone bless anybody else. Now, what I love and appreciate about this small little prophecy book is that um, in this small book is, is the purpose is to show God is still in control of the world, even though there's apparent triumph of evil around them. Now, that is something I think that is helpful for us even today, is to know that God is still in control, even when surrounding us seems to be that evil is triumphant. Now, there's no agenda throughout this series about today's society. We're not taking our world and placing it in the book of Habakkuk. We're just not going to do that. But what we can do is read and study a book like this that happened thousands of years ago, real life circumstances to see how it is that we apply that to us, where we are, how we respond, how we trust, how we can ask our questions, and how we long for God to intervene. That's where Habakkuk is. And so again, that purpose statement is that God is still in control of the world despite the apparent triumph of evil. Now look at Habakkuk chapter 1, please, and we'll look at verse number 1 through 4 together. It says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, here's what he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and you will not save. Why do thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceeds. This morning we're going to look at this, this cry this burden, this, this complaint that comes from Habakkuk to God. And we're going to just simply look, how long will I cry? This prayer that Habakkuk offers to God, this burden, this complaint to God, he says, how long will I cry? Father, we desperately need your guidance this morning. As I have prayed through this text for the last two weeks, I'm just really wanting your guidance on how to properly um, digest it and, and dissect it for our people. Lord, we want nothing more than to properly be guided by your spirit. And so use this time together of study. Help us to be open and, and to be submissive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you again for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that life is filled with questions. Um, we ask a lot of those questions. Uh, maybe some of you uh, who have worked with kids before, uh, you could even attest to the fact that kids always have a lot of really good questions, really some doozies that make you laugh or, or maybe even make you think or make you go dig in somewhere to find some answers. But all of us like to ask the how, the why, and the when. And these questions help probe beneath the surface into gaining some satisfying answers. But we all know very well at this point in our life that just asking questions 
does not always bring satisfaction. I wanted to kind of illustrate that this morning for a couple of moments because here is that so often when we ask our questions, we want our answers to be all wrapped up with a big pretty bow. Like, so, you know, we've got those kind of questions that we often ask God. And by the way, there are a lot of questions we ask God that do come looking like this. Like we might would say, how do I grow in my spiritual life? And God says, well, here's your answer, and it's wrapped up in a very big, pretty bow. Or maybe we would say, should I be invested in God's work financially, physically, emotionally? Should I be a uh, an intricate part of God's local church. Well, there's your, there's your answer right there. We maybe even would say, should I witness, should I share the gospel with my coworker? And again, there's our answer right there. But then we also know that in life, our questions sometimes go unanswered. And sometimes those questions become more complex with their answers. And so we would say that this now, we all know that when it's time to receive a gift, we always like to receive the gift that looks like this, because this means somebody has spent some time wrapping, cutting, folding, taping, and uh, done some really hard work to put a nice big bow on here. Then we get the presents like this, and we know they just like opened a bag, threw a bunch of tissue paper in it, and tried to hide the gift, right? And so we always like that. Well, what ends up happening with these, these questions that we ask, they're like, we ask these questions, does God really care about my problem right now? And we're looking for that answer when, in all actuality, God gives us this answer. And we're like, oh man, there's a lot more to it. It's more complex than that. We say, God, why don't you, why don't you be seeming to be answering my prayers? And there's more to it. And we say, am I really going to have to live the rest of my life suffering through this? Why do I suffer through so many broken relationships? And all of a sudden, one question after another. Here's what, here's what Habakkuk had to pray. He said, violence, idolatry, injustice is happening all around us. And this isn't the enemy of God doing this. This is your chosen people, Israel. They are acting wicked. They are doing these things. And how long will I cry over this? How long do I need to ask you to save? How long do I need to beg you to intervene? How long do I need you to do something? And all I get is one thing after another, and I just don't know where to go. That's where Habakkuk is. He is at this point in the beginning of this moment of offering this complaint or lamentation to God. And he says, how long will I have to cry? See, he saw a dark and shattered world, and it broke his heart. This was not what he was used to. This is, what, this is not what he knew of God's nation, God's people to be. So he boldly and confidently complains to God. And God answered him, and God's going to give him an avalanche of proof and predictions. Now, we're not going to get to that, so let's not get too ahead of ourselves this morning. Because I want us to look at just verses 1 through 4 at this. How long will I cry? Look at verse 1 and 2. Here's the burden. The oracle. Here's the complaint. He says in verse 1, this is the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. He experienced this. 
And the, the book of Habakkuk begins with this complaint that the prophet is addressing to God. And by the way, very unusual. Not that he is going to speak to God, not that he is going to offer complaint or question to God, but unusual that a prophet would be seen addressing God first. Many times throughout the major prophets, the minor prophets, you would read of the account where God shows up unexpectedly to a prophet. Remember Isaiah 6? Isaiah is in the temple and he is, he is interrupted with what he is doing and God approaches him. So often we would see this, but Habakkuk is here on his own volition and he's crying out for help. Now complaints were a, they were a type of prayer that you would see throughout the Old Testament and they were God's people offering these back to him. They were laments. And so in these prayers of complaints, or as I said, laments, they're not necessarily a lack of faith. I think that's easy for us to always conclude, oh, if you're asking God, you're just lack of faith. Well, no, this is not a moment of a lack of faith. It's actually a moment that he is just turning and pouring his heart out to God. It's actually the very proper way to respond because we're so used to taking our complaints to each other. We're good at that. And I've got my top 10 list of who I can go to with my complaints. Why? So they'll rally behind me. They'll say, yeah, that stinks. That's awful too. But you see, the direction is proper here for Habakkuk, and he is going to confess his negative thoughts, his pain, his darker emotions. And this is not an indication of unbelief. And so Christian, don't look at that in your own life as an indication of unbelief. Those darker moments in your life, those moments of, of pain, those moments of negative thoughts, it just becomes that you're turning your heart to God. You remember what David did in Psalm 142, verse 1 and 2? He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. So we know this was verbal. This would have been out. This would have been something vocal. This was voice. This wasn't just, I struggled with my thoughts toward God. He says, I cried out with my voice and I made supplication. And he says, I poured out my, what? Complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. What would David's bag have looked like? The complexity of what he might have been struggling with too. You see, all of our questions, again, we want them to look very pretty, big bow, it makes us feel better. But sometimes the answers to our questions are so complex that it feels like it's just one tissue paper after another. So he asked this question. Now, obviously, it's been a while. I don't know how long. The scriptures don't tell us. But obviously, it's been for a little while because he says, how long will I have to keep doing this? Have you ever been there before? A moment where you thought, how much more? And maybe even you said, how much more do I even have? How much more can I stay engaged? What do I have in me to overcome these dark emotions? What do I have in me to overcome this pain or these negative thoughts? What more do I have in me? How much longer do I have to do this? And so often, we want to be in control of our timeline. So often, we want God's timeline to work in our timeline, and again, that's where we say, how long will I cry? Oh, not too long. Thank you, God. That's how we want it. But we're also reminded about Paul 
several people all throughout scriptures who they had to go through these seasons in their life where it was very complex, very difficult. Negative thoughts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. Remember there was this thorn in the flesh that Paul had. And remember, Paul prayed three times, God, please remove this thorn in the flesh. Okay, God, please remove this thorn. Oh God, I beg you, I fast over this. I earnestly desire for you to remove that. And Paul writes to the Christians at Corinth and says that, that God just had to reveal that this was purposeful. This was intentional, that this thorn in his flesh would remain. That's when we see that God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, we're not too interested in his perfection or his strength being made known by all of our weaknesses. We want God's strength to be known, and we can just carry it around and show people. Look at what God's doing in my life. <laughs> Look at me. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. That was a year ago. That's not, that's not me. This is me. But you see, Paul realized the complexity of his negative thoughts, his shortcomings, his struggles, his emotional pain, whatever it was that he was facing. Today's not the time to dive into the speculation of what that thorn in the flesh was going to be or what it was but you know what it is in your life. And you keep praying, God, would you please do something with it? And he says, not now, or not this, and not that way. So here Habakkuk is, he's got a major assumption. And he assumes that God does not hear him. You see that in verse number two? How long will I cry? And you won't even hear me. And then he assumes that He's saying there's violence, there's problems, there's, uh, there is chaos around me, and yet you're not going to intervene. You won't save. You're just going to sit idly by. And so here we would see another opportunity of application that asks us the question, how do we respond when God appears to be quiet or to be mute in our prayers or in our life? When he doesn't respond in the timeline or in the way we want, what do we do when we are desperate and in deepest prayers and they seem to be just that God is silent in those? Think about Jesus. You remember Jesus when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember Mark chapter 14? He took his three closest friends. He took Peter, James, and John, part of the inner circle. And Peter, James, and John went with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked them, would you just wait here and pray with me? Would you just pray? I'm going to go a little further into the garden, and I'm going to pray. And it wasn't that Jesus just kind of prepared himself mentally for what was coming up. Jesus prayed to God the Father that the burden would be passed from him, that the responsibility of the cross would be passed. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend. Jesus, Son of God, God the Father, unity all in one. Holy Spirit comes in there for the Trinity. So Jesus is praying to God the Father. His spirit is burdened that he doesn't have to do this. And and we think, okay, well, that's just one of those things where it's teaching us to pray about things. Well, but as you study Mark 12 or read 12, you will see that he prays that to pass from him. And then he goes and he sees and the disciples are what? They're fast asleep. And Jesus says, (laughs) 
hey guys, couldn't you just stay awake for a little bit and pray with me? And then it says he went again and he prayed the same thing for the father to pass the cup, if it be possible. The responsibility did not be his. And then he goes back and the disciples are asleep again. So here it is for Jesus himself praying to God the Father. It's a little complex. He's praying for the responsibility to pass. And here he is. He's praying one time. May this not, I don't want to go to that cross. Then he comes back and he prays again. Would you pass this responsibility? And the Bible tells us he went three times and there's never a response from God the Father that is recorded in the Gospels. But we would see him taken as captive, treated as a criminal, unjustly convicted, and he would go to that cross bearing the sins of all mankind. And we get all up and roar when God doesn't work in our timeline of answering our prayers. But we look at Jesus as he poured out his heart to God the Father. What a great example of somebody who saw the complexity yet stayed on task to what God had called him to do. You see, Habakkuk, here he is, he's looking around him, the violence, the injustice, and, and uh, he is so concerned by this. And so he wonders where God is and why God is allowing this to happen. So when it comes to the silence of God and unanswered prayer, Pete Gregg said this, he said, silence may be more than absence. Silence may be presence muted. You see, when, when, when there's silence in the complexity of your questioning and complaining to God. Don't assume absence. Assume the safety of presence just muted. Have you ever been beside somebody going through something so difficult and you just didn't have anything to say? But just your presence was the comfort and encouragement they needed in that moment. You see, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But sometimes you won't hear what you're wanting to hear. And sometimes you won't see what you're asking to see. And sometimes the conclusion is not as pretty as you had hoped it to be. Well, then look at verses 3 and 4, because this silence of God does not mean that he has forsaken Israel or that he has forsaken Habakkuk. He is present with him. He is present with them even in the silence. And in verse 3 and 4, we see this struggle. And he says, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence there before me? They are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment does never go forth. For the wicked does compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment, twisted judgment proceeds. It succeeds. It moves forward. Verse 3 and 4 sound really familiar, doesn't it? Kind of sounds a little bit like our world today. But Though we don't know how Habakkuk was dealing with this situation in his time frame, we, we know several key thoughts about Habakkuk. We don't know how old he is, but it does tell us a little bit through the timeline that he likely lived during the reign of the godly king Josiah, but that his prophecy was given. These complaints would have been given during this successor, one of the successors of Josiah, which would have been Jehoiakim. So Josiah was a great king. You remember, 
He was king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He tore down the false idols. He would build up the temple of God. He would, he would re- revive the land, revive the people, and that their target would be to God and God alone. So that was Josiah. There was revival in the land. That's Habakkuk growing up. But then we would see that Josiah dies. His son becomes king for three months. He dies. And then Josiah's grandson, Jehoiakim, takes the throne. Now, there's a lot about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim didn't have a whole lot of money, and so he would use slave labor to build his palace. So he abused people. Jehoiakim didn't care anything about the poor and needy. It was about his own advancement. King Jehoiakim was full of greed, and he practiced extortion. Jehoiakim burned the prophet Jeremiah's scrolls that were given to him. Burned them. Did not want God's word in his hand. And he killed other prophets who spoke out against his practices. This is the king of the land that Habakkuk is living in. This is king of Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. So this is like, this is like having a bad mayor, which Bill Mutz is total opposite of this. And that affecting our community. And people became wicked. People began to follow the ways of their leadership. The law became slacked. The, 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 the justice system was crashing. A wrong judgment, twisted judgment was succeeding or moving forward. And so there was spiritual decline and it was devastating. He starts the, this statement where he says, why do you show me iniquity? Why do you show me this iniquity? And you cause me to behold this grievance. This is a really good question. And really, I would ask ourselves, why does God allow us to see iniquity or evil or wickedness of ourself and other people? Like we see that all the time. Well, I think that for ourselves, when we see our own wickedness and our evil and our iniquity and the grievance of our lives, that's to keep us humble. You see, those in their spiritual journey who are looking toward the word of God to be the mirror to show areas of flaw and areas that need to be uh, confessed and worked through and, and those steps of sanctification to be more like Jesus Christ, that's a revealing moment. And the humble heart says, I see it for what it is. I see me for who I am and I've got to do something about it. So why does God continue to allow us to see our own iniquity, our own wickedness, our own evil is to keep us humble and to lead us to submit in the moment of trouble? How many Christians think they can do this all on their own and they will not submit in the moments of trouble? Another area is is it makes us value our salvation even more to appreciate the grace that God has extended to us the salvation and free gift that we have received. And it allows us to appreciate that even that much more. Now, Christians who don't see their own wickedness, who don't see their own iniquity, who don't see the grievance of their own lives, boy, they are so mistaken. And they're living apart from a sweet fellowship with God because they think they're okay. Everything's fine. Do you know somebody like that? For their life? You know, even in others, God allows us to see the wickedness, the iniquity, the evil, the grievance of other people's lives, the troubles of other, other people's lives. And I believe that's in order to show us that we might, what we could have been apart from grace. 
that's not to raise ourselves up and say, I'm glad I'm not them. But it just causes us to back up and say, wow, if it had not been for grace, who would I be? Where would I be? So when we see this trouble in others, when we see this wickedness in others, it motivates us not only to be thankful for what we have, but it also should burden us to share the love of Jesus Christ with them, to see that their life can be transformed by the power of grace, that their life can be so changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And so they won't hear without a messenger. And so sometimes God puts us in that place. Remember the question? Should I share the gospel with my coworker? That's not complex. That's a pretty wrapped package that says, yes, share the truth of the gospel. Live a gospel-centered life. Have a testimony that shows God's grace working in you and through you. Share your story. Tell people God's change in your life. But then also when we see this kind of thing in other people's lives, it helps us to see the wickedness of sin. And should cause us and motivate us to hate it and to avoid indulging in it ourselves. I wonder how many of us in here are deeply offended by the enemy. Because the enemy wants to ruin your marriage. And they will do everything and anything they can to split your marriage to pieces. You should take offense to the fact that the enemy is trying to destroy the lives of your children. And they will use every tactic and every way to get into that moldable heart and into their mind. That offends me. It should offend you that there's an enemy that wants to destroy your local church. It should offend you to the fact that you want nothing apart, you want nothing as a part of the enemy. So why do we still yet indulge in the tactics that the enemy uses? Why do we find ourselves participating in fractured relationships, only giving more success to the enemy? So what we do is we pretend that conflict in our marriage can be brushed under the rug and dealt with in 10 years from now, or somebody will soon forget about it. But the harsh reality is that's just breeding ground for something more destructive later on. Or how many times, parents, do we turn a blind eye so that our kids can be entertained, yet to the very fact that they're being uh, indoctrinated by a world and an enemy that wants nothing for them but hatred and wickedness. So these things should offend us. See, Jesus even said to his people, he said to the disciples and the crowd listening to him that the thief has come not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. He says, but I am come that you might have life and that you might live it abundantly, that you might live it to the fullest, that you might have it greater than you ever imagined, that I would do things exceeding abundantly above all that you would ask or think, that I would give you life and victory and that you would find this in your life. So Christian, we have to be careful. Yes, offense is there by the enemy. So guard your heart, be vigilant of the enemy. But when we see the wickedness happening all around us, let's not be so easily frustrated and annoyed. That's easy to do. I mean, I can tell you for the last three or four or five months, there's been that spirit of annoyance by what's happening around us. There's a frustration of what's taking place. 
But I can't expect anything different from an unregenerate heart, a lost and dying world that doesn't know God and rejects God. I can't expect anything different from them. And if we think for one moment that our day and age of the United States of America is the worst that time has ever been, well, then you're not a student of history. Because the reality is, is this is still just a little cakewalk. Yeah, there are churches in California we prayed for this morning because here in about an hour and a half to two hours, they're trying to decide whether to go through having a worship service or to do what the local government and state government is telling them to shut down and not show up at church. Cease and desist. So yeah, we get frustrated and annoyed by these things. The truth is, is that God allows for these things to happen before us So that we might stay consistent in the complexity of the process. That we would be fervent in our prayers, consistent in our life, and be reminded of God's grace so that we might earnestly look to be the human means that God will use to advance his kingdom. Don't say it's going to be somebody else that will do the work. That's somebody else who will proclaim the truth. You look into your sphere of influence and say, where do I shed hope? Where can I share love of Jesus? Where can I boldly proclaim the one and only way? So these continued injustices resulted in verse number four. The law was paralyzed. It was slacked and the law being the major force that would hold them in check. And the king and the rulers have paralyzed the law. It's no longer functioning the way that God had put it into place. So there's disorder in society. People are chaotic and wicked again. This is an ungodly, unruly people within Israel itself. So things could get worse, and they will. But Habakkuk here is crying out with this burden, working through this struggle. You know, we we have this deep longing for justice. As Christians, we're thankful for the attribute of God where he is just. We kind of wait on on the edge of our seat to kind of watch things unfold. Like, right, I mean, we're watching news right now, and there's a lot of people, wicked people, that we just want justice to come down on. Like, we want to be there in the courtroom when the the gavel comes down, and it's, it's done. Then there's the doubt whether justice will even ever happen for some people. So we're just naturally pressured and moved longing for justice and we agonize over wickedness but let's remain heartbroken over our own sinfulness let's quit being so consumed by everything around us that we forget about being heartbroken of our own sin and and thankful for a fulfilled promise in a messiah How will God respond to this? Well, verse 5, chapter 1, we'll read next week all the way to beginning of chapter number 2. We're going to find God's response, and it's going to be a a surprising one, a shocking response coming next week. But the one thing that we can be reminded of is that the Great Commission is connected to what God has been doing all along since Genesis 12. You see, when God gave that promise, that promise would find soon fulfillment soon being thousands of years later. But that fulfillment is going to come. And the prophets are sent to to prophesy of that, to be a messenger of that, and to proclaim that. 
Yeah, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been captive to Assyria. Assyria already came in 20, 30 years ago and already took over the northern kingdom of Israel. Habakkuk is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Why are the wicked uh, being successful and, and the righteous are being trampled? And God is going to tell him, just hang on because I'm going to bring Babylon in and they're going to take over. Well, that's going to be a crazy response now for Habakkuk as you get to verse number 12 as the second problem of Habakkuk and second burden and second complaint is issued to God. So how do we respond in seasons of silence, of darkness and disappointment? Four last thoughts here in conclusion. How do we respond in the seasons of silence, darkness, and disappointment? How do we respond into the complexity of our questions and unanswered uh, inquiries to God? I think we need to first pour our heart out with unedited emotion to God. Sometimes we're really careful of what we say to God, which maybe that's good for you, but I think you need to use unedited emotion before God. He already knows your heart. He already knows your struggle. And you can talk to God any way you want because he is going to receive that complaint. He is going to receive that question. But if you're going to speak your unedited emotion to God, as David did, by the way, Psalm, then you have to be willing and ready for the answer. Second, we continue to exercise faith and trust in God. We don't see it here, but we're going to see it in Habakkuk. Habakkuk has great faith and trust in God. Why else would he be coming to God? You see, when we come to God, it's not that we're looking for someone to blame. We do that here in our our, uh, horizontal relationships. In our horizontal relationships, uh, we want to complain to people because we want to blame somebody. So if I'm complaining to you, there may be a little sense of, of blame that I want to shift on you. But here, when we do this to God, this complaint to God is not that we're blaming him. It's an expression of faith and trust. Psalm 62 says, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Think on that. Yeah. Third, we can confess our doubts, our disappointments, and our struggles. And we can do this just as a man did to Jesus in Mark chapter 9. I shared this in one of our sessions on Wednesday morning. You remember the guy that brought his son to the disciples? He was demon-possessed. The disciples couldn't do anything with him. They brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, if you, if you cannot believe that all things are possible to him that believes... And so straightway, the father child cried out and said, well, yeah, with tears in his eyes, Lord, I believe. And then he says, but help all emotions of unbelief. So in those dark, it just doesn't connect. I, I, I long for this, but I know that this is where I'm at. So with my unbelief, God, I need you to help. And then last, we rest in the faithful love of our heavenly father, who always cares for us. He always cares for us. So when we look at this thought of Habakkuk and we ask the question, how long will I cry? And the answer today is long enough. 
I don't know what that looks like, but God does. And so take those darkest moments of life, those doubts, those fears, those struggles. Don't become so overwhelmed that you become doubtful and rebellious toward God. In the midst of that complexity, the disappointments, the heartaches, the fears, the struggles, find your ultimate peace. Next, the journey of Habakkuk, the ability to look at his life as one that time of revival in the land. He saw King Josiah lead the people back to you. He saw your name, Yahweh, being priority in the land. He saw justice take place. He saw a king rule with godliness. So when Habakkuk now goes through a a change of guard, when Josiah passes... His son takes rule. We don't know enough to know if he caused enough trouble just for three months. But then the grandson, Jehoiakim, he was a rascal. He wanted nothing good, only wicked and evil. So Habakkuk was in despair. He prayed, he cried. He felt like you didn't hear him. He concluded that you were idle and not going to intervene. God, for some of us here today, we go through some of those periods in our life. A lot of unknown circumstances surround us. Some of us so passionate about country that we feel like it's going to pots. But the reality is, is our citizenship remains in heaven, our greatest place of hope. So, Lord, help us not to fret, to worry, to distress. Yes, may we recognize the wickedness around us. But may that make us even greater in evaluating our own spiritual journey. May it motivate us greater to be a witness for you. May we look to live our lives holy, blameless, and acceptable in your righteous service. So, Father, use your text today to work in our hearts as you would see fit. We'll give this moment now for application as you lead us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As we do each week, we want to give you the opportunity for application. Take the words that God has given us to apply them to your life and to take steps of growth. And so as she plays, would you take this time to talk to the Lord?